everybody, and welcome back to the Simple Truth Podcast. Today we're on episode 8, and we're going to be talking about baptism. A couple episodes ago, we talked about the baptism in or of the Holy Spirit, but today we're going to be talking about baptism in water, specifically, and what that means, why it was done, and just look through the Word and what it says about it. So we're going to start today just by talking about what the word baptism means. In the Greek, it's baptizo, but we're just going to say baptism. Um, and the word basically means to immerse or to submerge. To, so to be fully covered is what to baptism means. And we know that John the Baptist and J Jesus and his disciples were baptizing people in water and that that continued on after Jesus's death and resurrection. So we're going to see examples of that throughout the word today. But it's also the word baptizo also means to cleanse by dipping or submerging. So it's not just a covering, it's also a cleansing. There's a cleansing that happens when baptism comes. And so there's a passage in the Word that we'll probably get to today that talks about washing, and it's not a washing away of mud or dirt, as when you normally take a bath or something like that, but it's a washing away of sins. That's what this baptism represents. And that it's not a temporary change. There's actually two words in the Greek that could have been used to describe this dipping or this submerging, but one was specifically chosen, and there's a reason for that. The first reason, the or the other, the first way of saying to dip in the Greek is bapto, and that means to be just dipped. But baptizo means to be dipped, to put into, to submerge, and that it produces a permanent change, that it produces a permanent and lasting change. So it's not just a one-time thing, but because of this submerging, this thing that's, that's submerged is changed. It comes out different. It comes out transformed. So there's a, there's a specific difference between those two words, and that's why they used it, because it needs to represent a change that happens, that you go under the water one way, and you come out a changed thing, a changed person, a changed heart. Right? All of these things that are changing within us when we get baptized. And we're also going to talk about, we're going to see that baptism came after repentance. And repentance also has a changing of mind. The word to repent, a lot of people think it just means to just ask God for forgiveness. That's repenting. But repenting is actually the action of changing your mind, changing the way you think, and becoming and transforming into the way that God thinks, turning away from the things of old, from the old nature, and becoming new in the nature of Christ. Being new in the nature of God. Changing your mind from your own old and own ways and turning your ways to God. Turning to the ways of God. So that's what baptism represents, and it goes along with repentance, with this permanent changing, this turning away to something new. The old has gone the new has come, right? There's plenty of passages that talk about that, that we are alive to Christ and dead to sin, that the old man is gone and the new has come. All things have become new, that we are a new creature in Christ. So there's a changing that happens, and baptism is a part of showing that, right? And we're going to talk about that as well. We're going to start today in the book of Mark in chapter 1, and we're just going to look at what it looked like when John the Baptist started baptizing how Jesus got baptized, and then eventually we're going to talk about Jesus himself with his disciples were baptizing people. Okay, So Mark 1, 
verse 4. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me, who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. All right. So we see this beginning of the book of Mark. We see John the Baptist is in the wilderness, right? Crazy guy with the leather belt, the camel hair, eating locusts and honey. But he is out there and people are coming from all over to be baptized by John, right? That's, that's how he gets the name John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, because that's what he's doing. That's what he does. And what happens when these people come? He says he was preaching a baptism of repentance. So the reason that people were wanting to get baptized or were coming to the water to be baptized was because of repentance. Because he was preaching the word, preaching about what was to come. John was a messenger sent before Jesus to prepare the way for the Lord. Right? That's stated over and over in the word that G John was sent to prepare the way. He was preparing the hearts of the men and women in Jerusalem in Judea in Israel to receive Jesus right so people were coming to him repenting turning from their old ways realizing that there's life in God preparing themselves for the kingdom of heaven that's coming through Christ Jesus and they're confessing their sin right what does it say a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins then all the land of Judea those from Jerusalem were baptized by him confessing their sins so there's a confession that comes with the repentance right we don't just confess and then call it good but there's actually a repentance a turning away because right here it says they were repenting for the remission of their sins so that the sin would no longer have a hold on them but that it would be washed away in the waters of baptism all right and then he preaches that there's one coming after me who's not just going to baptize you in water like i do but he's going to baptize you in the holy spirit and fire and we talked about that in episode 5, I believe. And then Jesus himself appears at the River Jordan. And he's baptized by John as well. So Jesus himself is also baptized in water. right? We know that Jesus is the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Yet even Jesus chose to get baptized. He chose to get washed in the water. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus himself is baptized, and at that moment, when he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. So he receives that same Holy Spirit in which he would send to the apostles in Acts 2, and all those who would believe, all those who were gathered in the upper room. Now we're going to go to John 3. We're going to look at Jesus also with his disciples baptizing people. All right. John 3, 
verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and are all coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. So here we see that Jesus has gone and now he and his disciples are starting to baptize people. And more and more people are moving from John to Jesus, right? And John himself will say, he must increase and I must decrease. So there's a transition coming. And John himself says that I have come to prepare. I have been sent before him. I am not the Christ, but I was sent to bear witness of him. All right, so the people are coming to him. Now we're going to see in the first couple of verses of John 4 how Jesus was doing this. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. So here in the first couple of verses, we get a little glimpse of Jesus with his disciples are baptizing people. Now it clarifies here that Jesus himself was not baptizing the people, but his disciples were. So he was making his disciples. He had called some of his disciples. He was making more disciples than John, and his disciples were beginning to baptize people as well. So John, Jesus started and continued the work that John had started of the repentance, right? We read in Luke 4 that Jesus continued the work by preaching to the people, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that was the same message that John had started preaching. So John the Baptist went before Jesus to prepare the way for the Lord his message was to repent, be baptized, confess your sins, and turn to God. Be prepared for the one who's coming after me, who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself shows up, and at one point in another gospel, John himself says, Behold the Lamb of God. But Jesus also gets baptized, comes out of the water, receives the Holy Spirit, and then he is empowered by the Holy Spirit, first to go into the wilderness. But when he comes out, he starts calling his disciples, he starts baptizing people as well. And he proclaims the same message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then Jesus begins his ministry, right? So there's a transition happening at this point of the gospels where the disciples of John and the people who are coming to be baptized by John are now transitioning to Jesus. So John has done his job. He's prepared the way for the Lord. He himself says he must increase. I must decrease. It's, it's great that more people are going to him because he's the answer. He's the one who I've been speaking and preaching about. So Jesus is continuing that work, and then he begins his ministry. Now we're going to see, we're going to jump to the end of Jesus' ministry. We're going to look at the end of Matthew and the end of Mark to see Jesus' command, right? We know that Jesus continued to minister. He healed the sick. He delivered people of, of evil spirits. He preached the word. He taught the word with authority. He did many miraculous signs and wonders. He multiplied the food. He was transfigured on the mountain. All of these miraculous things that showed that Jesus is the Son of God. And now he's died and resurrected and he's reappeared to his disciples. And his last command to them 
is seen here. The first one we're going to look at is Matthew 28, verse 19, which says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus tells the disciples here, this is him before he ascends into heaven. And he's showing them, he's telling them, hey, I am going on, but you must continue the work that I started. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we see that this work of baptism is not completed, that it wasn't something that Jesus just started to, to show his way, but that this was something to be continued, that this is going to be a continual sign of repentance, of confessing of sin. And we're going to see in Acts 2 that it's going to be also a, a confessing of Jesus Christ as Lord. And that they're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? So it's baptism into the Lord, baptism into God, into his family, into the fullness of what Jesus died and resurrected for us to attain. Right? And that's relationship with him, with the Father, and with the Spirit. Right? Jesus said that we would become one with the Father, that the Father would love us just as he loved the Son, and that the Holy Spirit would come. We would be baptized in that Spirit. We would be filled with that Spirit, but it would also be a seal and a guarantee that we can have relationship with the Spirit. So Jesus made a way for us to come into relationship with all of the three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying that we must be baptized into all of those names, into the fullness of who God is. So when we go forth, when we make disciples of all nations, baptism is on that forefront. That was on Jesus' mind. It was in his heart to make sure that they knew to continue this work of baptism and to continue to teach them to observe all the things that he's commanded them. All right, now let's look at Mark 16. Verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So Jesus says there's two steps to being saved here. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. So Jesus sees this as important enough to say that you need to be baptized to be saved. That's a step that you should take in your life to be saved. It's a part of believing and being baptized. That's a sign of believing. That's part of the of baptism is showing that you are making that decision that I'm going to die with Christ and rise with him. So believe and be baptized to be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Now there's a lot of ways you could go with this. There's some people who would say you need, you absolutely need to be baptized to be saved. But there's also other places in the word, like Romans 10, where it says, who he, he who believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead shall be saved. And it doesn't mention baptism there. And there's other times where it talks about salvation and doesn't mention baptism. So Jesus commands baptism. So I would say we should also command it. But... Is it explicit everywhere it talks about salvation that you must be baptized, that you must go into the water and come out? No, it doesn't. So I'm going to leave that up to you. But I would say if you have the opportunity, which you can ask, find a church that baptizes, find a church that believes in water baptism or 
Do it on your own goodwill. Fill your bathtub, whatever you have to do. But make the decision, and we're going to talk more about what it actually means to be baptized right now. So let's look at that. Let's see what Peter preaches, right? So Peter is the first to preach after Jesus is resurrected and the baptism of the Holy Spirit has come down. So now Peter is preaching by the power of the Spirit, and what does he say? At the end of his preaching, verse 37, When they heard his preaching, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent. So the message of repentance has not gone away. John started it, Jesus continued it, and now Peter is saying it again. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn to God. Be changed. Be changed. Change your mind. Transform your mind. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So Peter also says, repent, okay? Now be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins, right? So this is a sign of the remission of sins. Just as we talked about baptism, the word baptism literally means to be cleansed by dipping, by washing. And so it's for the remission of sins. It shows that remission of sins that comes by believing and repenting in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. And then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So it's not just for the people who listened to Peter that day. He says it's for them, it's for their children. And to everyone who is afar off, to all who will hear, as many as the Lord our God will call. So it's for everybody. Praise the Lord. All right. Now let's go and look. Acts 8. We'll see one more time. We're just going to use one more passage to show that this work of baptism continued. Acts 8, verse 35. And this is Philip. We see Philip goes to Samaria, and he preaches. People are healed, and they all get baptized. Whoever believes is baptized, including the sorcerer. But now we see another um, passage here when he meets the eunuch on the road, the Ethiopian man. So Acts chapter 8, verse 35. Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road... They came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. All right, so we see this is an instant instance, sorry about that, an instance where somebody hears the word of God preached to them. This is a one-on-one -on -one thing. This is Philip preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch, one-on-one, -on -one, right? And so it says that he begins to preach the scripture to him, preach Jesus to him. And as they go down the road, the eunuch responds and asks, Here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? So what does that tell you? Philip was talking about baptism. As he preached Jesus to him, he talked about how Jesus was baptizing people, how they continued to baptize people in Jesus' name.
that that's a part of believing, that after you believe, you are baptized in Jesus' name because when the eunuch sees the water, he asks, here is water. What holds me back from being baptized? And this is what Philip says. This is the only prerequisite to being baptized. This is what Philip says is the prerequisite. He says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. So it becomes another thing. So you repentance and believing. He who believes and is baptized, he will be saved. His sins will be taken away. He will be forgiven, right? So it's a believing, it's confessing, repenting, turning from your old ways, turning to the Lord. That's the prerequisite. Believe in Jesus Christ and you shall be baptized. So they won't, both went back down to the water and he baptized him. And Philip was translated in the spirit somewhere else. All right. Now let's talk about some passages where Paul explains what baptism symbolizes, signifies, and the power of it. First one is Romans 6, starting in verse 3. It says this, Do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. So Paul is explaining here that the symbolism, that the the symbolism of going under the water, dying to your sin and rising out is a sign of the same thing that Jesus did, right? We were buried with him. We were baptized into his death. That the sign of going under the water is just how Jesus died and went into the grave, but then three days later came out again. We also come up out of the water, but we don't come out the same, right? We would walk in the newness of life. We would be raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. We know that we've talked about this in our body, soul, and spirit episode, that when we believe in our salvation episode as well, when we believe our spirit is reborn, we become alive. So there's a raising from the dead as well. And the baptism that happens after we believe symbolizes that, that we are dying to our old self, but we're rising to new life. It's a symbol of what's happened to us spiritually. Because before Christ, before we believe in Jesus, we are dead in our sin. We are dead in our spirit. But then when we come alive in Christ, our spirit comes alive and we rise from the dead. We are alive forevermore. We still live in this physical body, but we are alive in our spirits. So we should walk in this newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly also in the likeness of his resurrection. So in the same way that Jesus died and was resurrected, we must die and be resurrected, brought to new life. Our old man is crucified with him. It's dead. The body of sin is done away with. We will no longer be slaves of sin because he who has died has been freed from sin. So if you have died with Christ, if you have given your life to him, if you have surrendered your life to him, you've believed, you've repented, you've turned to him, you have died. You have been freed from sin. Sin no longer has any hold on you. It's been washed away, right? Washed away in the waters of baptism. Your sin is washed away. And so 
why would you hold on to it any longer, right? There's no need for shame. There's no need for condemnation. There's just the continual pursuit of perfection, of righteousness, of the state that Jesus Christ rised from the dead, right? We still have to live in this body that has sin dwelling in it, but we're no longer slaves to it. We are freed from sin and alive to Christ forevermore. All right. Next, we're going to look at a couple more passages. The first one is 1 Corinthians 12 and then Galatians 3, which say very similar things. So we're going to kind of look at them back to back here. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13 says this, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. And then Galatians 3, verse 26 to 28, says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither is there slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All right. So here, in these couple passages, Paul makes it clear that when we are baptized, we are baptized into Christ, into his body. And through this action of baptism, we come into one bond. There's a bond of the baptism. There's one baptism in the Lord Jesus, right? Even it says that... Um, that's also in 1 Corinthians 12. No, it's Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 says there's one baptism. And that baptism it's talking about is the baptism into the Lord Jesus. Right? So when we get baptized, we come into the name of Jesus. We become the body of Christ. That's what it says here in 1 Corinthians 12. As the body has is one. So the body is one, but it has many members. But all the members of that one body, being many, they are still one body. And so is Christ. So we are one body in Christ. Though we might look different, we have different operations, different functions, different members. Some are eyes, some are ears, some are hands, some are feet, right? Some are unseemly parts, but they're to be cared for anyway, right? They're even more important than some of the parts that we do see, as it goes on to talk about in here. But all these parts, they make one body. And we've all been baptized into that one body, and that body is Christ. We have put on Christ. We are no longer slave or free, Jew or Greek, male or female. We've all been baptized into one spirit, into one body, into Christ. We are all sons of God through faith. So it even talks about here the steps. We're sons of God. We're daughters of God through faith, through believing in Christ. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So first there's the faith in Christ. Then there's a baptism into Christ bringing us into the body, right? That baptism is a sign. A lot of times it's done in a way to show that we've entered into the body of Christ, that it, it unifies us. It makes us one. Baptism should unify us. It should not defi uh, divide us, right? Because it gets rid of our differences. differences. It makes us all one in Christ. It makes us one body. All right. Then our last passage for today is Colossians 2 verse 11 through 13 which says this 
In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, disarming every principality and power. He made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. All right? So here we see that we've been circumcised, right? Circumcision is a kind of a sign and symbol of taking away, cutting off what is unholy, right? And so there's a there's a spiritual aspect to this, right? We're putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, right? So it's not saying that we can just like tear our flesh off, but we're putting that off as our first nature by the circumcision of Christ, by the cutting away that comes with the purification in Christ. We are buried with him in baptism. We die to ourselves. We are buried our old man is dead through baptism in which we were raised with him through faith in the working of God. So again, it says that just as we died with Christ, we rise with him through faith in the working of God, through believing in the work of God. And though we were dead in our trespasses, he has made us alive together with him and has forgiven all of our trespasses, wiping out the requirements that were against us. So this baptism is a sign, right? First comes believing. Believing through faith through faith in Christ. And when we do that, our old man must die and we must come alive to Christ or in Christ. So when we wash away our sins, when we go under the water, we are dying with Christ. The sins are washed away, right? And so we come out of the water, we rise with Christ and we are a new life. We put off that sin nature and we come alive to Christ. We come alive in the spirit. And we're forgiven of all our sins. All of our sins are washed away. We come out of the water a new person. Right? And so a lot of people, I don't know about a lot, but some people have talked about how baptism is just a sign. It's just a symbol. And it definitely is. Right? Paul explains in multiple different ways in which we just read that baptism shows what happens when we give our life to Christ when we believe in Jesus. It's a sign and a seal. It's a symbol of that. But I also believe that there's spiritual power behind it. Um, I've had a chance to be a part of many baptisms and just the obedience that comes with doing it. Right? Jesus commanded it. He commanded his disciples to go forth and make all disciples of all nations and to baptize them. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. So there's power in it. There's a reason why Jesus commanded it. And if Jesus commands it, and if he himself did it, why would we not be obedient in doing it as well, right? And it's a submersion, and it's a choice. It happens after believing. So you have to be in that place, right? I'm not saying you have to be a certain age to be able to make that choice, but you just have to believe and be baptized. You have to believe in the faith and the working of Christ, turning away from your old self, and at that point, there's nothing holding you back from the water. 
So be obedient to the word, be obedient to Christ, and be baptized. Because there's also a spiritual power. Even if you already understand the sign, the symbol of, of it, there's a power in obeying God's word. There's a power. Jesus said, we talked about this in the love episode, that those who love me, they will obey my commandments. Do you love Jesus enough to obey this command of his? To follow through with the word, right? Jesus didn't really say, he didn't give us a lot of um, physical, natural commands to do, right? A lot of things have been added in. Before, there were a lot of things in the law that you had to follow. But now there's freedom from that law. And really the only two things that Jesus commands us to do that we take as, as symbols, as continued symbols, is through the baptism of new believers and through communion. All right? So we see those two things as very important symbols of the Christian faith, of coming to Christ continually remembering and and things that he's commanded us to do so that's baptism praise the lord that's gonna do it for the episode today i thank you guys for joining me again for this episode i hope you enjoyed i hope you learned something new today if there's something was uh new to you in here or you haven't been baptized i encourage you to take it to the lord in prayer go back to the word go back over the verses we talked about today and the word is simple Right, A lot of times culture, a lot of times religion tries to confuse us about what the word says, but the word is simple. The word is straightforward. God is not a God of confusion. And so what he says, he means. What he does, he means. What he commands, he means for us to follow through and to do. So any lie, any excuse, anything you've heard that doesn't line up with the word needs to fall to the floor and you need to submit yourself to the word. In that, there's true life. There's true freedom. Religion and, and the world, they'll only try to bond you up. They'll try to bind you, but the truth will set you free. The word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will set you free in the name of Jesus. So I just pray that over you. I encourage you guys in that today. If you'd like to give, you can go to anchor.fm slash simple truth podcast. Otherwise, we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you.